Blog Talk Radio. Hi everyone, welcome to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews, where for over four years we've been asking the Franchipreneurs of Longmore. I'm your host, Marty McDermott, and I'm the president of Franchise Interviews. Well, we have a great show today. We're going to discuss the state of the restaurant industry and the new economy. Restaurants suffered their biggest declines in a generation in 2009, 7% below the 2007 level, and sales increased just 0.1% in 2010, according to Technomics. And we're going to be discussing that with Paul D'Amico, president of Moe's Southwest Grill, coming up on segment two of Franchise Interviews. Are you one of those special people who are willing to go after your dreams and goals? Are you ready to fulfill that dream of owning your own business with the security of a proven brand? The opportunity to take control of your future and own a Rita's Italian Ice franchise is within your reach. Rita's is seeking success-oriented individuals who are ready to make a change in their life, and Rita's offers unparalleled training and support to assure your success. And did you know the frozen treat industry is a recession-proof industry, and there are Rita's in 23 states currently with 540 stores open. Rita's Italian Ice has been around for 25 years and is listed as a top-performing franchise by the Wall Street Journal. Now here's the really good part. Rita's Italian Ice is a unique and amazing taste treat. It's smoother than a snow cone, and it combines ice with real fresh fruit. The real fruit adds dramatically to the taste, and it comes in over 40 flavors. The ice and fruit are mixed on site and made fresh daily, and it is delicious. You'll want to know more about this exciting and successful franchise opportunity. Go to www.ownaritas.com and get all your questions answered. That's www.ownaritas.com to take control of your dreams and future today. You don't want to wait any longer to be a part of this adventure. www.ownaritas.com Franchisers, are you looking to reach aspiring entrepreneurs looking to buy a franchise? Are you looking to reach a highly educated audience on franchising? For over four years, Franchise Interviews has been giving an up-close, behind-the-scenes look at franchising and entrepreneurship through our website, FranchiseInterviews.com, where you can hear and read interviews as well as get inside tips from some of the most successful sources in franchising. Check out our weekly franchise radio show, where each week you get to hear a new interview with franchisers, franchisees, franchise authors, franchise experts, and attorneys, and our podcast, Great Quotes in Franchising. Get three months of free advertising when you sign up for our one-year package. For more information, go to FranchiseInterviews.com or call us at 610-905-2919. That's 610-905-2919. Need a business loan? Talk to Diamond Financial Services, the experts in franchise financing nationwide. Whether you're looking to start a franchise, acquire an existing franchise, or expand your territory through opening new locations, Diamond Financial stands by your side start to finish. From pre-qualification to packaging and presenting your application to securing a financial commitment and through the loan closing process, Diamond Financial is there. While you're waiting, thousands of others are making their financial dreams come true. Don't wait any longer. Pre-qualify now by completing a confidential, no-obligation financial analysis. Let's face it, traditional banks just aren't in the business of financing small business. At Diamond Financial, we specialize in securing franchise loans from $100,000 to $3 million and equipment leasing up to $150,000. Let us help you get started. Go to www.franchisefunding.net or call 877-508-2274. 
That's FranchiseFunding.net, 877-508-2274. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews, where for over four years we've been asking the franchise for a long one. I'm your host, Marty McDermott, and I'm the president of Franchise Interviews. And today's show is being brought to you by Franchise Times Magazine. Franchise Times is the only magazine that targets both franchisors and multi-unit franchisees, and is a must-read for anyone looking to buy a franchise. And it's great to be back today. We have a great show today. We're going to be discussing the state of the restaurant industry and the new economy. And as I was saying earlier in the intro, restaurants suffered their biggest declines in a generation in 2009. In fact, 7% below the 2007 levels, and sales increased just 0.1% in 2010, according to Technomic, who is a Chicago-based restaurant consultancy. And while many sectors of the restaurant industry continue to struggle, this is interesting. The fast casual segment is driving the industry's growth. So we're going to have to find out why uh, when we meet with Paul D'Amico, who is president of Moe's Southwest Grill, on the show today. And if you're unfamiliar with Moe's, we've had them on the show last year in 2010. I had to think about that for a second. And Moe's Southwest Grill is a fast, casual concept featuring fresh Southwest fare in a fun and engaging atmosphere with over 400 locations in 34 states and in Canada. At Moe's, each meal is prepared right before your eyes and is accompanied by free chips and salsa, including the Homewrecker Burrito, a Billy Baru Nachos, and the Closed Talker Salad. And they were founded in 2000. Atlanta-based Mo Southwest Grill was named the top 10 growth chain by Restaurant Hospitality in 2007 and is a Gold Award winner of the 2008 Consumer's Choice of Chain Awards. So it was a great show. If, if you missed that show, go back and, of course, listen to today's show as well because you know we are going to talk about Mo's. Mo's was certainly an interesting franchise opportunity. It seemed like there was an interesting culture uh, at Moe's. We were doing a podcast earlier this week for our, our, our diehard fans to the show. You know, we have a podcast called Great Quotes in Franchising, and we did one with Dr. Scott Shane, who we had on the show twice up to this point, author of Illusions of Entrepreneurship and Born Entrepreneurs, Born Leaders. And Dr. Scott was talking about the importance of getting into Uh, A a great business opportunity, but also really taking into consideration the industry is is, is very, very important. You know, he spoke about, you know, motivation and enthusiasm. Those are all important. But if you're in a bad industry, um, you're not going to make it. So, you know, today's show is is certainly uh, very important. Let's see. Next week, we meet with Banana Strohs. And that's an interesting concept. I don't think we've had this type of concept on the show yet. I don't think there's too many of them out there. Banana Strohs is a quick-service crepe franchise. They're gearing up for expansion in the QSR industry by bringing taste, price, and also portability to an untouched marketplace in America, which is crepes. And uh, for those of you who don't know, it was ironic. I was watching a show this week, flicking channels at night, and there was a, a cooking show, which I don't watch too often, on crepes, so it caught my attention, and I guess a crepe is like a, a flat pancake, you know, so um, that's going to be very interesting, and we're doing that show, by the way, next Friday, uh, so that's a little different, because we typically do our shows on Thursdays. Um, the following week after that, I got to speak to the founder of this company yesterday, Tasty Image Franchise Opportunity, meets with Franchise Interviews on Thursday, June 23rd. And Tasty Image began mid-2003 in Jupiter, Florida. And after becoming a part-time affiliate to sell printed chocolates, this is a quote from the founder. She said, I saw rather quickly that there was income waiting to happen within the chocolate industry. So that's going to be very interesting. Week after that, June 30th, Danny Lyon, The Color of My Underwear is Blue, uh, is the author of that particular book. And a little excerpt from the book, how many of you would like more success? How many of you would like more success faster? 
Anybody not? Well, you've come to the right place. My name is Danny Line, and on the color of my underwear is blue. And we're going to be talking to Danny about a lot of different topics, of course, success. And um, we'll talk a little bit about entrepreneurship and franchising. We'll get Danny's thoughts on that stuff as well. So we got a lot coming up over the next month, and, and, and we're actually booked into, I believe it's July going into August now. Some really great and exciting things happening on Franchise Interviews. Our last several shows, we did Franchise Rewinds. And if you're a new listener to the show, that's where we kind of go back and play a show, usually from several years ago. Remember, we've been doing this show now four and a half years, so we have quite a bit of material. And the first time we did a Franchise Rewind, it was back in 2010. And Don and I were shocked at how many people listened to the show. We figured, okay, well, it's, it's a show that we played once already, and I think that show was in the top five. Um, it might have just been timing. You know, radio is, is one of those interesting things. But um, So we've done them several times since, and, and we're always pleased at the, the response. We have so much material now. Um, again, I think we're approaching 230 shows up to this point. So uh, in November, we'll be... It will be our 250th show. It's hard to imagine a quarter of the way, uh, or 25% for 1,000 shows. So it's really incredible. So the last two franchise rewinds were with Aaron's Sales and Lease and also DTT Surveillance. And the reason we did Aaron's was we've referenced them probably about 20 times on our show since we've had them on. And one of the things that Don and I like about this particular franchise, there was a lot of them. But one of the things that really stood out was they make their prospective franchisees if ex- express an interest in owning an Aaron's franchise opportunity. You have to work in the business. I think it's like for three weeks before you can really even have like a serious conversation um, about buying into the opportunity. And I thought that was interesting. I see that more franchises are doing that today. Um, because I think what happens is you don't always know. You know, a lot of times you'll see like a nice brochure, you'll go on the website, but you really don't know sometimes until you can actually work in the business. And um, so we were impressed with, with, with the Aaron's concept, and, and they're really a fantastic franchise opportunity. They're a very big franchise opportunity, uh, by the way, as well. They recently opened one here in uh, not far from where we are in eastern Pennsylvania, and it looks like they're doing very well, so I was happy to see that. DTT Surveillance was another franchise rewind we did a couple weeks ago. And DTT, we met with the founder, Sam Nafasi. And another interesting concept, what we love about DTT Surveillance is, again, talking about the food industry, um, there was a great story. It was actually on DTT's website. I think it's dttusa.com or .net. I'll have to... I'll have to find out for sure and then put that on the website. But a woman goes into a subway, and she's kind of like looking around, and she sees that no one's looking. And she just, for some reason, she just goes straight down. And, you know, and she's, she's holding her, I think it was her right arm. And um, the paramedics come. Then on the way out, she's holding her left arm. You know, so she confused her story. In the beginning, she 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 heard she hurts her right arm. And then going out, she, she, she says it was her left arm, you know, so... And sometimes you got to have these things on video, you know, to really protect yourself. Um, you know, you just don't know today. It, it's a very tough business, particularly when you're working in, um, in in a cash type of business. So, you know, to have this this, this um, surveillance type of technology is really fascinating. I mean, there's franchisees who are able, from the comfort of their own home, just go right on their computer, log in, and they can actually see what's going on in the stores. They can tell um, if, if the cash register is short. Um, so you, you really do need to um, protect yourself today. If you remember that, that crazy case with uh, Wendy's um, burgers, this was going back probably about five, ten years ago, I think now. You know, a woman claimed to find a finger in her chili, you know, and that would have been say, great to have that documented on video to actually capture her putting something in the chili, you know, because you can imagine how long it took. Chili sales certainly went down for Wendy's after that. So it certainly did, excuse me, have a very big impact um, on their business. So it's a great technology. Um, you know, we're going to have to have Sam back on the show. We'll have Aaron's back on the show at some point as well because a lot of these franchises and services have really grown um, since we've had them on the show. So the Franchise Rewinds are a lot of fun. 
Here's a topic that I find fascinating, and Don and I have discussed it many times on franchise interviews. Um, I actually presented this topic in Athens, Greece last year at the fifth annual conference on entrepreneurship and innovation, and it's on veterans and franchising, and the name of the article is Taking Military Training to Restaurant Leadership. A Marine veteran finds success in the restaurant industry. The article is by Mark Brando, uh, May 27, 2011, if you want to check out the article. came from NRN.com, which I think is Nation's Restaurant News, um, another great website where we get a lot of our articles from. And here we go. It says, Todd Waldemar returned from Iraq in 2006 and knew that he had the experience and leadership capabilities as a Marine to go into business for himself. He just didn't know everything about one industry to get started. Um, it, typically, you know, depending on what source you're using, there's a lot of industries out there when we're talking about franchising. Um, and, and if we're talking about sub-industries or subcategories, it, it, it's a lot. Um, typically, it's, it's about 80 industries. Um, documented by, I think it's it's probably the IFA. So there's a lot of different industries to choose from. So if you say one out of 80 in the beginning, that's that's difficult enough as it is. And then once you decide, you say, okay, I want to go into food. Well, what segment do you go into from there? I mean, again, you have your choice of Mexican pizza, uh, again, quick service. Um, there's all different types, you know. So, and again, that's what we're going to be talking about on today's show as well. So I thought this would be a good segue into uh, segment two. It says here, but researching several franchise businesses before enlisting with Wing Zone gave him the confidence to know that the discipline instilled in him by the Marine Corps would allow him to leverage platforms already developed by the franchisor. Today, he franchises four units of the fast casual chain. The military really drills into you the philosophy that you can do, said Waldemar, a graduate from the United States Naval Academy, which Positive thinking, of course, you know, and, and we've, we've spoken this on several occasions on the show, and enthusiasm and all that other stuff we think is, is a very important element in getting into franchising. What makes this even more interesting, I think, or I've always thought, and again, I'm not the only one, but because military is a system, you have to be able to follow rules, directions, uh, you're used to being trained. Um, it, it always seemed like a, a good match for someone in the military. Not everybody but to go into a franchise opportunity. In fact, we did a podcast this week with uh, a young, younger gentleman, much younger than me, Derek Henze. He got out of the military, and um, he went into franchising. You know, and actually, if we have time, we'll try to uh, we'll try to play that clip before segment two as well. It's about a four minute clip. It says here, the military really drills into the philosophy that you can do um, when you're given a task or mission. It's assumed that you'll carry it out and be successful. I'm not thinking about my lack of restaurant experience, but I'm looking at it in terms of knowing I can do it. Waldemar opened up his first wing zone in June 2006 in Jacksonville, North Carolina, near Camp Lejeune, a Marine Corps base. He later opened locations in Virginia's Hampton Roads corridor cities of Virginia Beach, Newport News, and also Norfolk. He credited his ability to following Wing Zone's operations and training systems for thriving in business, as well as the commitment to service and risk-taking that made him a successful Marine. It's really one of the most critical elements when we're talking about franchising, is the ability to follow a system. Some people are so entrepreneurial by nature, and that's okay. That's just their, their genetic makeup. That franchising is probably not for them. It would be terrible to buy into a franchise opportunity, spend all this money, and say, okay, I want to uh, recreate the Big Mac. Um, so um, let's go a little deeper. It says, my willingness to take risks may be connected to my military training, which is also uh, fascinating if you think about it. You know, people who go into the military, I wouldn't say they're risk takers, but there's always some element of risk. When I studied this topic in detail, and, and I studied it for probably six months to a year and, and, and wrote a, a, a big paper on the topic, and it's probably going to be um, the, the focus of, of my dissertation, I, I thought it was interesting. Something I never thought about was the whole element of risk. Because when you are going in, into the Marines or the Army or Navy, whatever it may be, particularly during times of war, you are taking – there is some element of risk, isn't there? 
Well, it's the same thing in franchising. You know, I mean, you of course you're still taking an element of risk. You're putting up your own money. It's not guaranteed. It's not a home run every single time. So, you know, there is, is that element of risk as well. So, you, you know, you need to take those things into consideration. Let's see. From a development standpoint, Wing Zone has been very successful in military markets, and we love the idea of veterans becoming franchisees, Friedman said. So it sounds like the location factor um, for Wing Zone and, and with this particular situation was also um, key to success as well. They understand how to follow a system um, and follow ours. Not every one of them is a natural leader, so we look for people with leadership qualities uh, in that group as well. So, again, building leadership is also, um, I think, a critical element in um, coming out of the military. Again, I've never served in the military, but again, always having the highest respect for people that have served in the military. And in teaching for Kaplan University, I've had that opportunity of working with a lot of people in the military. Why don't we do this? I'd like you to hear a clip that we did with Derek Henze. Again, served in the military. After serving his time in the military and, and, and he came back, um, he was kind of thinking about what to do with his life. And I met Derek out at a presentation I was making in Chicago, of course, the topic being franchising. And this was a collegiate entrepreneurial conference. So it was interesting. A lot of younger students, I would say 19 to, let's say, 25, 26 years old, I didn't get a lot of them coming up to me after the presentation saying, I want to go into a franchise. I had a lot of them coming up to me saying, I'd rather be the franchisor. Um, but Derek was one of the few that actually said, you know what, this franchising thing sounds like something of interest. In fact, he was even willing to document his search. He's going to make this whole thing hopefully into a documentary. I've seen bits and pieces of it. Let's listen to it. It's a four-minute clip, and then we'll dive into segment two. So let's see what Derek Hi, everyone. Says. This is Marty McDermott from Franchise Interviews, and welcome to another edition of Great Quotes in Franchising, where each podcast you get to hear a great quote in franchising. You know, Don and I have been hosting franchise interviews now over four years and over 230 shows, and during that time, we've had some incredible quotes on the show. Today, you're going to get to hear from Derek Henze, and Derek's a fascinating individual. I met him about four years ago at the National Collegiate Entrepreneurial Conference in Chicago, and um, Derek is a new franchisee to a uh, pizza uh, franchise called Toppers, and he answers the question, why franchising? And I thought his answer was really just as, as good as anyone we've ever heard on the show uh, during the last four years. So listen to what Derek said. What makes him interesting is he also has a uh, background in the military. And as you know, Don and I talk a lot about the uh, connection or the relationship between um, serving in the military and being a franchisee. So I, I think you're going to enjoy this one. So here we go. All that kind of stuff really plays in my personality. Yeah. And in the franchising world, um, they, you know, they they kind of are a little bit hesitant on getting too involved with really true entrepreneurs because they really mm. want people that lock into a system. Right. Um, however, the way I look at it is kind of, um, I kind of lined it up with my goals and what I wanted to do, and mm. having really big ambitions. What I really saw is the um, opportunity of get, getting something going really quick. Um, I, I, I'm fully confident that I could always start my own restaurant or pizza place right. or my own business. However, um, you know, if, I, if you look at the timeline it would take you to um, mm. develop the business, to uh, get the right marketing niche and um, you know, your business plan and just develop everything to be even profitable. And you compare that to the franchising where a lot of that work's already done for you. Right. And they have a proven system and they have uh, a, a good franchise should have a good track record of what it means to be successful and what you have to do. So I, I like the idea that I could really uh, hit the ground running with a business opportunity and at the same time um, not as much as I like all the business um, all the business stuff that's involved with running your business I like the idea that I won't be distracted with worrying about how to lay out menu or uh, worrying about you know all the small what intricate things what new products should I put my menu um, I, I like the idea that I could focus on the most important thing 
and to me that was the people in my business. Do you think, Derek, that you would have done this anyway, going to franchising, or was it the military, you know, giving you confidence, put, putting uh, life in perspective, being overseas? Did that more motivate? So Derek kind of goes on there. There's a lot of different things he said there. You can actually hear the whole podcast by going to our Great Quotes and Franchising podcast when you go to a franchise interview. So why don't we do this? I see I see our guest Paul is called in. So we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more franchise interviews. Big mouth. Okay, you've got my attention. It's a rare event in the world of franchising when an opportunity comes your way that can and will thrive in almost any economic environment. It's here, and its name is Big Mouth Advertising. Big Mouth. BMA is a leader in the exciting world of mobile media advertising. Why is mobile media advertising able to defy the economic cycles? The answer is obvious. In times of economic weakness, advertising is crucial for survival as a consumer dollar is scarce and the competition fierce. What is mobile media? It's the newest and fastest growing segment in the advertising world. Mobile media brings the message directly to the consumer. Mobile media goes to the consumer in traffic where he eats and where he plays. It quite simply cannot be turned off or thrown out. And when you join the Big Mouth team Big Mouth. as a franchisee, you are joining the best. The Big Mouth advantage is simple and successful. We invest in a strong infrastructure and in great people. As a franchisee, you have access to this entire system, including telemarketing, sales maximization, general and administrative support, design and creative services, even billing and collection services. All you need is a mobile media vehicle, a driver, and the willingness to create a financially sound and limitless business for yourself. There are no long-term leases to sign, no expensive build-outs, no office personnel to hire. You will be part of the Big Mouth Advertising community and share its entire website and reception services, as well as its complete back office services. This virtual office guarantees you the freedom to close those sales that will make you a success. We are so proud of our successes that we have voluntarily disclosed our revenue statements. Now, how many other franchises are doing that? Even in these historically rough financial times, Big Mouth Advertising has become a dominant force in the mobile media industry. Join the Big Mouth team and take the first step toward financial freedom. Please call Ron at 888-98-GO-BIG. That's 888-98-GO-BIG. Big Mouth! I'm sorry, catering. <laughs> I need Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Franchise Interviews, where for over four years we've been asking the franchise entrepreneurs a long one. I'm your host, Marty McDermott, and I'm the president of Franchise Interviews. And as we were saying earlier, we have a great show today. We're going to discuss the state of the restaurant industry and the new economy. And restaurants suffered their biggest declines in a generation in 2009. In fact, 7% below the 2007 level and increased just 0.1% in 2010, according to a technomics survey, a Chicago-based restaurant consultant firm. We're meeting with Paul D'Amigo, and Paul is the uh, president of Mo Southwest Grill. Hey, Paul, how you doing today? Doing well, thanks, Marty. Oh, great. It's great to have you on, Paul. Paul, I thought a great place to uh, start off was kind of congratulate you on the success of Mo's. We were saying earlier in the show, Mo's Southwest Grill was named a top 10 growth chain by Restaurant Hospitality in 2007 and is a gold award winner of the 2008 Consumer's Choice and Chains Award. So congratulations on that. Thank Sounds you very like much. Doing a good job over there. That's fantastic. It's exciting news. You guys have an interesting concept. We met with Moe's in 2010, and we were fascinated with the culture of Moe's. Could, could you start off by telling us a little bit about Moe's Southwest Grill? Yeah, sure. Um, we are in our 11th year of operation. Uh, we have uh, about 430 restaurants as of today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're known for Southwestern fare. Um, burritos represent 60% of our business, but we're also known for salads, nachos, and quesadillas. And, and in our category and in our segment, we own the kid-friendly um, piece of that. Uh, we've got some pretty cool meals, and, and kids and, and teens gravitate towards our brand because of the fun environment. 
That's fantastic. Can you, can you explain to our listeners while we're talking on segment one, what's the difference between fast food, you have fast casual, you have casual dining, and, and fine dining for our listeners? I think a lot of our listeners may not know the difference. Yeah, sure. Um, when we look at fast food, we look at first first off with price point, the fast food um, players kind of play in that 4 to $6 um, average check mm-hmm. per person. Fast casual is more in that 8 to 11 Casual dining in that 11 to $20, and then fine dining gets $20 uh, and over. It's interesting because the fast casual um, category, if you will, was really born out of a cultural need. Um, you know, going back a few years, there were two parents. They both uh, were making good salaries, mm-hmm. always on the run, and they demanded the quality and they demanded the, 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 the service level, but they didn't have the time to sit down uh, in, in, a, in a restaurant with their children. And so that's really how that whole thing came about. That's interesting. And you guys would definitely be uh, classified, Paul, in the fast casual segment. We see that that seems like the segment that's carrying the restaurant industry, would you say? It is. We're seeing, we're seeing lots of guests um, trade down um, from casual dining into this fast casual, and we're actually seeing some fast food um, consumers trade up into this fast casual. I mean, it's, it's really about the value, the speed, and the customization which drives the brands that you see in the fast casual segment. Interesting. So as an expert, Paul, in the franchise the restaurant industry especially, can you explain how you see the current state of the restaurant industry, where we are uh, right now? You look, at, you look at what happened at the end of seven, all throughout 2008, mm-hmm. and, and pretty much three-quarters of 2009, and most restaurants were comping you know, negative um, compared to prior years. Our, our, brand didn't, uh, our brand was in that same category, and, and in September of 2009, we started to emerge you know, comping positive, and we've comped positive ever since, but, you know, the consumer, dining out really has not slowed down even through 7, 8, and 9, and 10. Right. Um, where they're dining out has changed drastically, and so when you talk mm-hmm. about the consumer that's looking for the quality, they're looking for the convenience, and they're looking for that customization, time is, is precious right now, and people are able to find the same quality products and the same quality ingredients without that 20% tip expectation you start to see them gravitating towards our segment. Wow. It's interesting, Paul, because we were doing a podcast early on this week with a gentleman named Dr. Scott Shane. He wrote a couple books. He's like a rock star in, um, I guess you could say, the collegiate world. And he was talking about the importance of the industry. You know, he says, you know, whatever industry you're looking at, do your due diligence and find out, you know, when industries are doing well, when industries are not doing well. So this is really a very important topic to to talk about. So how has the fast casual segment responded to the economic crisis? We kind of hinted a little, but if you want to kind of expand on that a bit. Well, I, you know, what, what I see for our brand, um, we have spent those downtimes in the economy, you know, retrenching, um, coming back to some of our quality expectations, working with our franchisees, and we've been training and training and training throughout the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and marketing, we've, our marketing spend has increased year on year on year. So while the economy, you know, took the dump, um, we we pretty much stayed course uh, to our brand. Um, we stayed we stayed the course really to our culinary development because it's through eight and nine. And in early 10, that we, you know, we start seeing the products that we were working on in 8 and 9 happen in 10 right. and happen in 11, which is why I think we are now coming, you know, strongly out of that recession with strong comp sales. Last year we ended 5.4%, you know, over 9. And that's, the, that's because of the work we did on the marketing and culinary development front in those really, really tough years of 8 and 9. Absolutely. It's interesting. One of the questions, I, I don't know if you know this, Paul, I'm a marketing professor for Kaplan University, and, and then one of the questions we were going to ask our students, because we find this to be a fascinating case study, why do you think the fast casual industry is booming while other sectors of the restaurant industry continue to struggle? Well, I think one of the things about the fast when you look at the players in that fast casual segment, um, mm-hmm. they are very different than is what than what you see in fast food and casual dining. And when you look down down the ranks into that price point of five to six into the fast food, you know, almost everything in that category, you know, sits between two pieces of bread in some way, shape or form. <laughs> and, yeah. And so and so That's true. And and they're not necessarily known for their for their healthiness, if you will, or their sustainability right, right. initiatives. And so when you look at the consumer base that is highly educated, high levels of income 
and they're demanding the level of quality of, of a much higher restaurant chain than, than maybe even Moe's. Um, but they uh-huh. know that, you know, our ingredients and our food mission, if you will, is all about freshness, organic, steroid-free, hormone-free. That is, right. There's groundswell going on, and that is happening across that fast, casual segment because the consumer is saying, I'm willing to pay more, but give me what I want. And that's, that's why I think that fast, casual segment is, is really starting to take off. Amazing. But specifically, the, the uh, Mexican. We we read that article by uh, Technomic, Paul, uh, the the Chicago-based research firm. Uh, it was probably like about. Oof, it was on one of our shows anyway. Don usually reads the current events, and they recently listed Mexican dishes as one of the industry's leading trends. So, what do you attribute this growth to, and is this trend reflected in your bottom line? Ask anybody that eats um, in that Mexican southwestern uh, <laughs> culinary. I mean, it, yeah. the one word that comes to mind is craveable. Uh, you know, right. a, Moe's, a Moe's fan, what we consider to be mm-hmm. a Moe's fan, will eat at our restaurant yeah. two, three times a week. Now, can yeah, you, you really think about the last time you ate at the same restaurant two to three times in a week on a fairly regular <laughs> basis? It's almost unheard right. of, and that's that craveable nature. I think what really uh, drives that, that, that repeat business, if you want, if you will, though, is, is the options that you have to customize your ingredient. Uh, you can come into Moe's at any time and get a burrito, and you can come to us, you know, thousands of times, and that burrito can be different every time because that you're choosing whether or not you want to eat extremely healthy. You're choosing if you want to eat vegetarian mm-hmm. today. You're, you're eating if you want to eat steak or chicken or pork. So the options to customize your, your items are really endless, right. and that's what drives it. Yeah, I would agree with you saying it's very addictive. I mean, my <clears throat> my wife and I, I mean, our favorite food is, is Mexican. We don't have a lot out here towards eastern Pennsylvania, so we're waiting for you guys to come out here. I'm begging you to uh, sell some <laughs> we're franchises. We're on our way. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're waiting because we'll, we'll be your first customers. We, we love Mexican. I would agree with that. It certainly is um, it, it's certainly very addictive. Um, can you explain the, the specific changes most Southwest Grill has made during the recession uh, that's made your company allowed to grow, uh, Paul? It, it's been interesting. We saw a lot of, you know, over the last three, four years, a, a lot of, like, thinking outside the box with, with some franchise opportunities, and we know that you guys have done the same thing. Yeah, there, there's a couple of things that we've done, and they're really on, on three different fronts. One is, is our culinary you know, during 2008 and 9, we introduced the Junior, uh, the Joey Junior Burrito, and that was really a, an attempt to really target the teens and and the female audience, uh, because the tw- our, our our burrito is a 20 ounce burrito. It's just it's too much for some people, and so we were we were pushing you know our female customers away, and so we introduced that Junior, and that really started to to drive traffic in our stores, and then we followed that up with things like the rice bowl because people were, mm-hmm. were more health conscious and, and we were starting to see, you know, the emergence of this whole gluten, um, uh, you know, epidemic and, and what that means to people with celiac disease. And so the rice bowl was our answer to that. During that time of 2009 and a little bit of 2010, we retooled our entire prototype. We changed the entire look and feel uh, of our restaurant and, and, and that, that gave us the opportunity to do that. But I think more importantly than those other things, though, which are kind of brand-centric, we really started to focus on the, the, the being a little more selective in our franchise partners that we brought into the system mm-hmm. and really focusing on some concentric growth and not the shotgun approach of selling franchises wherever anybody wanted them. I'll give you an example. This last year, 2010, we had over 2,700 people that wanted to become most franchisees, uh, and we sold a total wow. of 70 70 franchises last year. So, you know, the desire wow. the desire is there to become a franchisee, um, but we're going to be very particular about who we bring into this family and grow it concentrically. That's fantastic. And all those ideas that, that you guys acquired, you know, over the last couple of years, Paul, I mean, did any of them come from the franchisees? I mean, how, you know, we'll say one of the advantages of going into franchising is, is you don't have to think as much, you know, and it's not an insult when we say that, you know, but, but to let the franchisor kind of do the thinking for you. I mean, how did you guys come up with all those ideas? Was it through market research or uh, from the franchisees? I mean, how do you, how do you get those great ideas? There, you know, there's, there, there's mostly um, trend spotting with, with our executive mm-hmm. chef. Really, that's the, that's the main area that we get these ideas. But I'll tell you, the Junior Burrito line came from a, our franchise group out of Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, they, did it really? The ones, wow. The ones that brought that to us, um, we, did the, we did some consumer research behind that idea. 
And it was really born, I can tell you, it was really born from a franchise partner. That's fantastic. It's kind of like the McDonald's filet of fish story, you know, coming exactly. from a franchisee, you know. It's just it's great. It kind of becomes historic, you know. We say internally time, so. here at, at the brand, we say internally here that the, the junior, the Joey Jr. was a game changer for our brand at a time that we really needed it. Wow, that's fantastic. You, you did an interesting move. Um, Moses recently expanded into the retail industry by offering popular menu items uh, for sale at, at BJ's Wholesale Club, which we do have you know, in this part of the country. Do you expect this strategy to expand your consumer base and, and your overall sales, Paul? It's, it's really, for me, the strategy behind entering the retail channel is to build our brand mm-hmm. awareness in areas right. where we not have the best you know, brand awareness. Uh, BJ right. approached us, uh, and we've today we've got 17 um, different products in in their in all of their club stores, and so we're we're tiptoeing in that area. Our sister company Cinnabon has been involved mm-hmm. uh, with licensing for probably the better part of 10 years, and you, you, there are literally hundreds of Cinnabon products on the supermarket shelves. So we've started our we've started our relationship with the club stores, uh, but I, I really expect that that will continue to grow into the supermarket channel. Yeah, it's an interesting strategy. I mean, I think it is very effective. I mean, I got to tell you, Paul, I mean, I, there are no Moe's out here where we are. Yet, I'm very familiar with your brand name. I remember when you had we had you guys on the show last year. I was very familiar with your concept. Yet, I, I, I've never been in one just because there's none in this particular area. You know, right. so um, I, I think that is a very clever strategy. You know, for uh, building brand recognition. You know, I, I think it does. It makes a lot of sense. You mentioned some of the other franchises um, you guys are, um, I guess, affiliated with. Is it Focus Brands? Is that what it is? Or uh, I can't remember the company. Focus, uh, you Focus guys Brand were... is our parent company, and then um, it is okay. Brands family. We've got Schlotsky's um, Deli. Okay. We've got Cinnabon. We've got Annie Ann's. We've got Carvel Ice Cream and Moe's Southwest Grill. Okay, interesting. Okay, interesting combination. Has there been any co-branding kind of opportunities, or that wouldn't make sense, I guess, for for Moe's? Uh, we all we all experiment with it uh, today. Uh, Moe's yeah. is co-branding with Carvel Ice Cream because that that product fits oh, wow. well with our brand. We actually did a test uh, down in uh, one of our higher volume stores in Boca uh, Raton, Florida, where we put a Cinnabon uh, within the Moe's. It it did not work. People people did not want to eat a 20 ounce burrito and then come back for a 20 ounce Cinnabon. <laughs> um, but we wanted to right, try right. to gauge the consumer's reaction to it. So that that did not work. But today. Um, every single Schlotzky's franchise that is sold is sold with all three brands. And the, and the Schlotzky's that are opening today open with a Cinnabon and a Carvel inside the Schlotzky. So it's been very wow. successful that brand. That's interesting. When when Dunkin' Donuts used that strategy of, of, of going into uh, the retail stores, Paul, I, I think there was some sensitivity from the franchisees. Do you think offering the items – you know, for sale at retail locations could hinder your in, in-store sales, or will franchisees could they get upset by doing something like this? Yeah, and anytime you try to take the, the products that have um, that that individuals have invested millions of dollars in growing a franchise, and you take those products and you put it in a different channel, there's go, there's going to be nervousness there. And so we we met with our size advisory committee. We took them through our strategy for brand awareness. We made commitments to them that you know, we would not see um, center of the plate uh, types of products in BJ's. So you, right. you can't, you will never go into a BJ's and see a home wrecker in the freezer. Uh, so we made those commitments to them and we made commitments that the products and how we handle them in our restaurants would be the same in the retail channel. So the, the you know, the, the chilies, the dips, the salsas, uh, if, if they meet, uh, they have to meet our food mission. So anything with chicken in it is going to be all natural, cage free. Right. And hormone-free, and if that's the way it is in the restaurant, that's the way it has to be in the, in the in the retail channel as well. So we've got our franchise community to understand the importance of building our brand and getting out there uh, before we even move into some of these new markets with the restaurants on the street and how that will help them. That's interesting. So we know we have a lot of franchisors listen to the show as well because we get a lot of emails from them, but what can other franchise concepts learn uh, from your strategy and adaptation um, uh, of your brand uh, during these hard times, Paul? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy, but I, I, would, I would say right. that we, we did a good job of really staying the course. We had, we had a strategy in place and how we were going to get there, and it, it was not easy during eight and nine um, and even in even portions of ten, but we stayed the course. Um, 
I, mm-hmm. I tell everybody, regardless of what's happening in the economy, you have got to hire great talent uh, and, and, and take your time in, in, in building that team. I spent the first 18 months after I joined um, Moe's in 2008, the first 18 months making sure that I had the right people and they were in the right seat on the bus. And I tell everybody that joins the company how I spent 18 months building that team, and nothing I do is going to take that team and tear it apart. So it's not easy to join our team. Uh, and then listen to your franchise partners because they're the ones that are investing millions, um, and they're the ones that are going to grow your brand or not grow your brand. And we didn't have explosive growth uh, in 2008 and 2009, but, but now we are. We're opening a restaurant a week right now. It's, it's something that the brand has never seen. That's amazing. What do you look for in your franchisees? What do your franchise development guys look for in your franchisees, Paul? Any any particular type of characteristics? I mean, you said you said a lot of no's, you know, to a lot of these yep. uh, prospective franchisees. So, so what are you looking for? There's really three things that we look for. One, you have to have experience in the restaurant industry. You mm-hmm. have to have experience in the franchise industry. And you have to you have to provide the right level of, of um, net worth and equity um, for what for what our requirements are, and so to get to bring those three together is not always easy. And so lots of right. times you have people that have the desire and the passion and the money, uh, but they don't have the experience. And so one of the things, and, and we had hundreds of those people last year, and it's tough to turn yeah. them away. Uh, so what we developed last year is we developed an internship program at Moe's uh, for people that were serious about wanting to become franchisees, had the passion, uh, had the money, but didn't have the experience. And we, we have a 30-day internship where they come to Atlanta on their own nickel. It's, it's an unpaid internship, and they, and they work in our restaurants, in our company restaurants, for 30 days. And at the end of that 30 days, we look them in the eye and we say, you're for us, and, and, and they look us in the eye, and, and we say we want to be part of that team. And at that point, uh, then we can start to talk about selling them a franchise agreement. And even after we sell them a franchise agreement, if we get to that level, they still have to come mm-hmm. back for the three weeks of certification whenever that, whenever that occurs. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a brilliant way of, of of doing it. You know, we were talking earlier on segment one as well. You know, um, there's another franchise opportunity out there, Aaron's uh, Sales and Lease, and I think they make before you can really even have like a serious conversation, they want you to work in the franchise for three weeks first, and yeah. if you like it, you know, then they say, okay, you know what, then, then let's talk. We'll, we'll continue the conversation. But it's interesting. I said a lot of times, you know, people realize they don't like it. <laughs> you know, they say, wait a minute, this isn't for that's me. Okay. You know, and that's so. Okay. That's, That's if, if you don't have those, if you don't have those dropouts, then that right. is going to be a failed franchise somewhere down the road. Absolutely, I agree. What about the, the training, Paul? Do you want to talk a little bit about the training? Because I know you guys have a very strong training program uh, for your franchisees. Yeah, I mean, our, our training for for certification is three weeks, and it takes place here mm-hmm. in Atlanta, and it's a combination, really. We are about our food, and so we we really spend a lot of time with franchise partners really understanding what our food is, what are the attributes of our food, and then how we, how we cook that and prepare that food and serve it to the guests. So that, there's probably 40% of the time spent just on culinary and understanding the relationship of all of the different 20-plus fresh ingredients that we have. There, there's a lot of classroom time uh, because many, many people come to us and don't really understand how to, uh, how to read that, that restaurant P&L, if you will. So there's nothing worse right. than having a restaurant, you know, you finish your training, your restaurant's being built, you get back home, the restaurant's ready to open, you know, you're doing 35, 40,000 a week, and you're losing money. Uh, there's, there's, there's nothing worse than that. So we want them to understand every line of the P&L and what we can do as a franchisor to help them get, get in line with where we think they should be on that P&L. Makes sense. And what are your plans for growth? Paul, uh, for Moe's Southwest Grill, and what do you see your guys, you know, self like in five years down the road? Yeah, we'll we'll probably finish this year up right around 490 restaurants, um, and our goal is by 2015 to have a thousand. So we're looking at roughly 100 to 150 openings every year until 2015 and through 2015. And and we we will stay pretty much concentrically east of the Mississippi. There will be some opportunistic growth with large partners in, in places like uh, Minneapolis and in the state of Iowa. And then we will grow um, nationally in the non-traditional venues, so airports and higher education universities and training mm, interesting. Are, are, is, a, is, a, is a focus of our strategy on, on franchise sales. 
You'll also start to see us pop up more and more now in, in, in closed mall food courts. We've got a half a dozen of those, and we've been very successful in those smaller footprints. Bringing, bringing our level of, of culinary to a mall food court is something that really hasn't been done in the past. That's fantastic. How can our listeners get more information on becoming a franchisee, Paul? Are there any uh, websites they can go to, uh, any phone numbers or email addresses? Yeah, the, the most efficient you? way to do that is to go to moes.com and then click on the franchising tab. That's fantastic. And I want to thank you again, Paul. You've been a fantastic guest. And, uh, you know, Don and I think you, you both have a great franchise opportunity, and I'm waiting patiently for you guys to come out here in eastern Pennsylvania. We appreciate your patience. <laughs> Thanks so much, Paul. You have a great Thanks, day. Marty. Take care. You take care. That was fantastic, everyone. That was a uh, great guest. Um, why don't we do this? We're going to take a quick break, and we have one more quick podcast that we want to play from Dr. Scott Chan, as we promised. And we'll be right back with more franchise interviews. Helping build America one small business at a time. Franchise Inc., a free consulting service. For years, Franchise Inc., a national company, has been helping people franchise their business concept and help folks like you own a franchise. With over 2,500 franchise systems out there, it can be awfully confusing. Don't take chances with your future. At Franchise Inc., we've done the homework for you. We can help match your interests and background with the franchise that's right for you. And we only work with proven franchise systems with a solid reputation and track record of success. The consultants at Franchising can help you with your short and long-term wealth strategy. Give us a call today and we'll send you free our best-selling book, Solving the Puzzle of Owning a Franchise. Remember, it's not just owning a franchise, but finding the right one for you. Call us at 800-961-0420 for a quick consultation to discuss what's important to you, your business, and your future. The service is free. The book is free. What do you have to lose? Find the business that's right for you. Call Franchise, Inc. at 800-961-0420. That's Franchise, Inc., at 800-961-0420. Franchise Interviews. For over four years, Franchise Interviews has been giving an up-close, behind-the-scenes look at franchising and entrepreneurship through our website, FranchiseInterviews.com, where you can hear and read interviews as well as get inside tips from some of the most successful sources in franchising. Check out our weekly franchise radio show, where each week, you get to hear a new interview with franchisers, franchisees, franchise authors, franchise experts, and attorneys. And don't forget to listen to our podcast, Great Quotes in Franchising. For more information, go to FranchiseInterviews.com or call us at 610-905-2919. That's 610-905-2919. Are you one of those special people who are willing to go after your dreams and goals? Are you ready to fulfill that dream of owning your own business with the security of a proven brand? The opportunity to take control of your future and own a Rita's Italian Ice franchise is within your reach. Rita's is seeking success-oriented individuals who are ready to make a change in their life, and Rita's offers unparalleled training and support to assure your success. And did you know the frozen treat industry is a recession-proof industry and there are Rita's in 23 states currently with 540 stores open. Rita's Italian Ice has been around for 25 years and is listed as a top-performing franchise by the Wall Street Journal. Now here's the really good part. Rita's Italian Ice is a unique and amazing taste treat. It's smoother than a snow cone and it combines ice with real fresh fruit. The real fruit adds dramatically to the taste and it comes in over 40 flavors. The ice and fruit are mixed on site and made fresh daily and it is delicious. You'll want to know more about this exciting and successful franchise opportunity. Go to www.ownaritas.com and get all your questions answered. That's www.ownaritas.com to take control of your dreams and future today. You don't want to wait any longer to be a part of this adventure. www.ownaritas.com 
ownaritas.com. Franchise interviews where for over four years we've been asking the franchise owners of Longmont. I'm your host, Marty McDermott, and I'm the president of Franchise Interviews. And that was fantastic. I want to thank Paul D'Amico again, the president of Mills Southwest Grill. Great franchise opportunity. So this week we also did a podcast with the very famous Dr. Scott Shane, author of Illusions of Entrepreneurship and Born Entrepreneurs on Leaders. And Dr. Scott talked about the importance of, of, of selecting the right industry and um, proper uh, business opportunities. So why don't we do this? We'll listen to a quick clip from Dr. Scott Shane, and uh, we'll see everyone next week. Hi, everyone. This is Marty McDermott from Franchise Interviews, and welcome to another edition of Great Quotes in Franchising, where each podcast you get to hear a great quote in franchising. Well, today's podcast, you're going to get to hear from someone famous in the world of entrepreneurship, Dr. Scott Shane. And Dr. Shane has written many textbooks on the topic of entrepreneurship. Today, uh, he's going to be talking a little bit about his book, Illusions of Entrepreneurship, which I recommend um, that everyone reads. We had Dr. Scott on the show twice in the four years uh, that we've done this show, and, and in both instances, uh, truly amazing, gave a lot of great information. In this particular segment of Great Quotes and Franchising, he's going to answer the question, what does it really take to make a business successful? Uh, he's going to talk about the importance of a good business opportunity, the importance of an industry. He's going to talk about um, easy-to-fix mistakes. Um, and how entrepreneurs um, can can fix some of those mistakes, and also the importance, as Don and I always emphasize on the show, due diligence um, on the industry or due diligence on, on any type of business opportunity before you get into it. So why don't we do this? We'll play the clip of Dr. Scott, and we'll see everyone again with another edition of Great Quotes in Franchising from Franchise Interviews. Take care, everyone. Dr. Shane, what questions does the illusion of entrepreneurship address? Again, Don and I both read the book. But, um. Well, so, so one question is, what does it take to make a new business successful? And one of the things that the book points out is that a lot of the things that we believe, um, that it's a lot about us as people, um, are inaccurate. That things like the kind of business opportunity you have and the industry that you're in account for a lot of performance. And I think what happens to a lot of people is we have this belief as human beings that we want to over-ascribe um, our performance to things that are about ourselves and not about things we can't really control. We can't change our industry very well. We can't change our business opportunities very well. So we like to think that it's us that matters. And it turns right. out that, sure, individuals matter, but the the business opportunity matters um, too, to a great extent. And being able to pick that, and what the book tries to do is help people see, well, what is it about a good opportunity? Uh, what is it about an industry that makes it good for startups? The other thing is that um, people make a lot of mistakes that could easily be corrected. They go after the wrong kind of financing. They don't do a business plan well. They don't form a good team. They don't set up the right legal structure. And one of the things that the book tries to point out are kind of the easy-to-fix mistakes, the things that are under right. your control so that you can fix the odds. I mean, you can't decide whether, you know, your particular product is suddenly going to become the hottest thing ever, but you can avoid making a, you know, mistake about getting, you know, your cash flow wrong because you don't have um, a financial structure in place to manage cash flow. Um, and then I think that the other thing is, that I think is very useful is for people to get a realistic understanding of where money comes from for financing businesses because I think people um, labor under a lot of illusions about where that capital comes from. And one of the goals of the book is to say, hey, look, this is how people really get money and this is what they're going to have to do. And um, you're probably not going to get venture capital. You're probably not going to get business angel money from a lot of businesses. What you're probably going to do is um, either invest your own money or you're going to personally guarantee loans from a bank. Interesting. Yeah, and that's my business, as you might have uh, heard, Dr. Shane. We, you know, our company's co you know talking to many people every day across the country, and there is a lot of you know, misconception. Uh, you know, sometimes people think uh, you know they can you know get financing, for example, as long as they just have good credit. But there's a lot of other things that lenders look for. 
uh, you know, with getting uh, uh, financing. So we're uh, always in that, uh, you know, consulting and you're giving advice mode to people. Uh... So thanks, everyone, for listening. And if you want more information, go to FranchiseInterviews.com, go Franchise.com, FranchiseFunding.net, and we'll see everyone next Friday with another great show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Take care.